0: Yeah, it's daylight savings, I know, I know, I hear it, I've got, um, well actually just, you know, welcome, glad that you're here, my name is Seth, I'm one of the pastors here, I'm going to start this morning with uh, two confessions for you, because that's always a good way to start, right, teaching in the morning, confessions from your senior pastor. One, I did not sleep good last night, did anybody else not sleep good last night, Wow. Okay. Five of you. Awesome. (laughs) The rest of you, I'm just going to assume the rest of you are too tired to raise your hand. Okay. That's just, that's what I'm going to assume. So I feel it right here behind my eyes. Like it's just like dead right here. So, uh, but here's my second confession. Uh, I don't remember my drive in this morning. Does anybody ever do that? Like, like you, get, you get in your car, right, like, and, and you can somehow put the, the, the key, that's what it's called, right, tired, uh, key into the ignition and start it back out of your house, uh, and you can literally get to where you uh, are supposed to be going, uh, and yet the entire time you just don't remember I had this happen to me in, in college I, when I was driving uh, up to Chicago for, uh, for school. Uh, I would, uh, you know, just get on the road. I'd, I'd hit the, uh, you know, the accelerator, and then I'd hit the cruise control button, and then three hours would pass, and I'd be like, holy cow. Like, what just, what just happened? <laughs> like, for all practical purposes, like, you're, you're behind. The, this is not okay, by the way. You're driving a how-many-ton vehicle? And yet we we get behind the wheel and like we're just, we're we're awake for all practical purposes. We are awake and yet we're really not awake. That we can be behind the wheel. Like really it's kind of like this, we're asleep at the wheel, so to speak. And even though we're awake, we're actually asleep. Is this just me or does anybody else do this? Does anybody else, like, get into this routine, this, this rhythm, like, all of a sudden, like, you just, like, you're driving, maybe it's like you're driving home from work, you know, and you get there, and you're like, like, did I already pass the gas station? Like, I'm, I'm a point of reference person, and so I think this is where I turn. It's less about street numbers and signs. It's just about, like, what's on the corner, and all of a sudden, you're like, did I already pass that? Am I gone? And I, f- I think that for, for me, like what I've, I've found is that, that there is this reality for us that, that we oftentimes are uh, in this daily rhythm in, in the sense where, where we are, like for all practical purposes, we, we are actually awake and yet we are really asleep at the wheel. And it just happens throughout our days, and maybe it happened, um, maybe if you're like me, maybe you feel like you can get into these yearly rhythms where you're just asleep at the wheel for, for a long period of time. This, I, I believe this is true, the Saturday, um, yesterday marked the one year, you know, from when the United States first went into uh, its first lockdown for covid and so we've had all these things happen this year. And I was reading uh, an article um, this week uh, from, uh, on, my, on Apple News, just on my, on my iPhone, and it had these top 10 things, top 10 things or lessons that we learned this year through, uh, through COVID. And here they are. It says, one, one of these is that we, we learned this lesson on resilience, that as a country, we were exposed to our swagger. <laughs> We were exposed in our naivete, in all of our divisions, and on top of all of that, we actually navigated, as a country, the, uh, the, the busiest hurricane season on record, which is kind of crazy, right? So the resilience of people over this last year, we learned about sacrifice, what we're willing to sacrifice when a catastrophe hits, runs basically the gamut from absolutely nothing to almost everything, and it's different for different people. Right? We, we've, learned, uh, uh, we've learned about sacrifice. We've learned about our elders and, and our loved ones. And so like, this idea of like knowing that, that you have a loved one in your life who, who is in their final stages is is devastating. It's hard. It's always hard. But then to add to that, you have to say goodbye via Zoom or FaceTime from the parking lot. I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking, the, the stuff that we've had to learn over this last over this last year, we've had to learn about uh, who's essential, right? In, in, a, in a culture uh, that, uh, that idolizes uh, athletes uh, and um, movie stars, we, we've had to readjust and find ourselves looking at, at the people whose normal jobs on a daily basis are, are sacrificing and serving for the greater good. Uh, we've learned life lessons on versatility. Uh, do you remember uh, the like, a year ago Saturday, do you remember when like, this all happened and then somehow inside of all of us, we thought, gosh, this will be over in two weeks? <laughs> did, you, did, you, did anybody else feel that? Like that was like kind of this natural thing. We're like, well, gosh, we hope that they will have it done in just a few weeks, it'll be done and and everything will be back to normal. And yet we've had to expand our horizons and how we understand how we work and how we live and how we play for the course of an entire year. It's, it's bizarre. 365 days have passed, and so versatility. Uh, we've learned a lot about technology. Um, one of the po- uh, negatives uh, is if, uh, if you're a Netflix person, uh, from July of 2019 to July of 2020, online streaming boosted a massive 92%. <laughs> it's crazy. 92%. So take it, whatever we were watching, it basically double it. It's crazy the amount of TV that we've watched, and yet some of the bigger pieces is that we've learned about Zoom and FaceTime where we can connect when we're not uh, together. So we've learned a lot about technology. We've learned a lot about science, right, like in the midst of this, like we, we learned that we're out of control, like uh, we don't have, not that we're out of control, but that we don't have control. Our own mortality is something that we have understood this year, and, and science is such a, a massive part of how God created uh, the world, right, and, and yet science doesn't move at the speed that we want it to, <laughs> Does that sound familiar? That's kind of the way that God works, right? Like he doesn't always work at the speed that we really want it to. And for many people, uh, there's this, this science and faith collision uh, where they found that these two things butt heads uh, what they, at least seemingly, yet again. Uh, and some people believed it, some people didn't, and that's just the reality, and then we also learned a lot about truth. And one of the things I really appreciate in this article was this line It just said about truth. It says, we cannot choose truth. Like, I think that there's this tendency for us, right, that we want to take information and rearrange it in, in so many different f- ways, and, and maybe we, like, black-highlighter our way through it. We go, well, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that, oh, I really like that, so I'm going to pink-highlighter that. And So we rearrange things in such a way where we go, this is my version and my, my, my truth-reality, and the reality actually is is that truth cannot be chosen. Truth is what it is, right, which makes me think absolutely of this. It cannot be changed. It cannot be chosen. This is what it is. It is absolute truth, right? Uh, And then number nine, one of the things that we learned uh, in this article, I just love this. This says, we learned about uh, strength and coming together. Uh, When catastrophe hits, we have to learn to put aside all of the things that divide us, right? But here's here's what I found so impactful from this. It says this. It says, this raises a question about how we as a country define the word strength. Okay, get this. Here's how they say it. Is strength, is it clinging to our freedom no matter the consequences? Or is strength reaching out and sacrificing? This is a secular article. That is really, really good. Really, really powerful. Is strength clinging to our freedom, whatever the consequences, or is it reaching out and sacrificing? That's what we're going to find in the story of Jonah uh, this morning. But this last one, number 10, is on life lessons. Uh, And they basically ask this question, will history repeat itself? Will we be back to where we started sooner than when we would have liked to be? And basically, they're saying, the author, whoever wrote this, is saying, absolutely. If we don't learn from our mistakes, then we're going to end up right back where we started. And so, really, the, the, the umbrella of this article, you can almost detect the cynicism in the article because they understand the nature of humanity, Right? Like, there's this this idea that, like, gosh, I understand humans. We're all human. We all know what it's like to be around humans. We are broken, fallible people. And so, there's almost this cynicism. And at the end, the the book, or excuse me, the, uh, the article really just asks this question. From all of the things that we learned over the course of this last year, how long will it last? How long will it last? Right? And that's the, that's the world that we live in. We have these lessons that we need to learn in order to move forward. And that's really being in this, in this story of Jonah uh, titled God's Word in God's World, it fits so perfectly, is that there's things for us to learn uh, this, uh, this morning. So um, God is, is in the middle of, of working out this massive redemption story. He's like, I have these people that are on my radar, they've been on my radar, I want to do something really, really cool. And so what does he do? He calls this guy named Jonah, and where do we find Jonah? We find him asleep at the wheel. Right, that's where we find them this morning. So, if you've got a Bible, would you grab it? Um, and if you if you didn't bring one, I just want to continue to encourage you to to bring your Bibles to, so we can engage in this. Uh, together. And if you don't have one, um, we'd love to give you one out uh, in the foyer afterwards. So uh, we're in Jonah. We're actually going to be in verses uh, 7 uh, to 10 uh, this morning. But just, as a, just to run through this quick background, right? So God gave Jonah a command and says, I want you to go uh, to Nineveh. I want you to go there. Um, and remember that Jonah's name uh, means dove or son of faithfulness. And so what do we find Jonah doing? We find him actually fleeing or flying, running the entirely opposite direction, right? So we find Jonah, who is the son of faithfulness, who's actually the most unfaithful character really in this entire story. And so he finds himself in the middle of this massive chaotic storm, which by the way, if you are in a storm and professional sailors are worried, you should be worried. Right? Because like they, this is what they do for a living. And if they're scared, you should be terrified. And yet, what do we find? We find Jonah asleep at the bottom of the boat, which is really just another way for Jonah to run. It's just another way for him to shut out right everything that's going on in his head and in his heart. And what's interesting here, it's kind of comical, is that the captain of the ship comes to Jonah, and what does the captain say? He says the word, arise. Where does that word come from in the first few verses? That actually comes from the voice of God, from Yahweh. So Yahweh says, hey, I want you to get up, and I want you to go to Nineveh. And then all of a sudden, the captain comes and says, hey, I want you to get up. And it's like the, the voice of God is like speaking through this sailor who has no clue who Yahweh actually is. And it's interesting that, that this sailor or this captain is actually more in tune with the needs of the people on his ship than Jonah is. He, he, he feels more about the common good, he cares more about the common good than Jonah, who is supposed to be the son of faithfulness, um, actually does. And so what we find, right, is we remember that this story, everything in this story is really upside down. Uh, and and when, we, when we talk about that, what we're meaning is that in teaching us about what is upside down, God is actually teaching us how to flip that and to reverse it and how to be right side up people. So here we are in Chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. I just want to read it for us. It should be on the screen. It said, And they said to one another, Come, uh, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? uh, And where do you come from? And what is your country? And and um, of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, whom, um, excuse me, they were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, right? Where it's like the author kind of just reminds us, but he's already told them that, right? But this is how it ends, like in verse 10, that question, what is this that you have done? Like, how could you do this? And it's interesting that, that the sailors, as we just kind of capture the big picture of this, The sailors are actually more in tune with the radical disobedience of Jonah than Jonah is. They're far more in tune with his disobedience. And and it's it's kind of funny. And this story is this as it continues to unfold, and we're just barely through half of like chapter one, right, which is crazy. The story, as it continues to unfold, is, is rather comical, and we and it's as if the author uses comedy to diffuse the situation. He's constantly using humor and comedy to kind of keep us laughing. We roll with laughter. Ha ha ha! That's funny. And at the same time, when he's kind of he's like slowly punching you in the gut. He's like ha ha ha! Oh, that's me. That's me. That's me. I forgot that that's me. And that's really what he's doing. And so for us, we look at Jonah as a character. We go, man, this guy is so stubborn. I mean, he is absolutely a ridiculous person. I mean, look at everything he does. And we we, we look at this and we go, man, I, I, God, Yahweh, I, I would never, (laughs) I would never. And I know you guys are like me. I would never act like that. I would never do that. That's not who I am. That's not how I would act. And and yet, I find myself, because as the author's words, as, as the Holy Spirit moves, as we read this book, I begin to ask myself this question, am I upside down? Is there things in my life where I am actually upside down and not right side up? Am I self-righteous in any areas of my life? And so it ends really with this question, right? How could you do this? So let's go back and let's unpack. uh, Start in verse 7. It says, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Okay, I'm just going to stop there for a second. Uh, it's, it's actually really interesting that the word evil shows up in this verse. Because here they are, these sailors are talking about this evil that has been presented. Uh, Where else do we see the word evil? We see it back in verse 2 when God says that the evil of the Ninevites has arisen in front of him, like it has come up before him. And so we go, yes, naturally that's true. In their disobedience, their radical disobedience, there is evil. And yet, now that Jonah is on the run, he is fleeing from the Lord, guess what word enters in? It's the word evil. And so it's the thing. It's like this evil that was over here has now been reciprocated over here. That the the radical disobedience uh, of the the Ninevites who really know no better, and yet here's Jonah who has this radical disobedience who knows exactly what he's supposed to do and yet doesn't do it. And so there's this evil. There's this disaster, this storm that has come upon. And so we know that our sin doesn't just affect us, right? It affects everyone around us in our disobedience. So then they say, the second thing that we kind of notice in this is that um, in verse 7, it says, they said to one another. If you remember just back a couple of verses, when the captain comes to Jonah, it's really just the captain. But here we go from that singular captain to the plural of verse 7. So now the entire crew is really in on this, Like, like collectively, collaboratively. They are in tune, as a group of people, they are in tune with the common good of the ship. Like, all of them combined care more about the welfare of each other than Jonah does, than the single righteous prophet. And so now there's this collective group that says, gosh, we really care about what's happening here, and Jonah has to wrestle with this. So what do they do? They, they cast lots. Well, what is casting lots? Like, what... what, what is that uh, casting lots is like um, is like just a, a pair of dice or multiple dice, uh, and then they have light sides and dark sides, and then they would roll them, and then depending on how they kind of you know fell to the floor, this was a this was a very common way of of trying to divine the will uh, of of some form of God, right? Because we know they were polytheists, and so it wasn't just Yahweh. They they thought, well, if we roll these dice, we'll figure out what's happening. Now, if you were just a, picture as you go home later today as you go home right and if you were to grab dice out of one of your board games and if you were to roll it say we were to roll dice like right here we would find that this is a very flat um, a flat place and nothing is moving right and so like they would roll and they would settle and then we would go oh two sixes that's awesome I get to move 12 spaces but have you ever done this when, when you're playing a game and like one like rolls off the edge and it gets onto the carpet and you find it on the carpet and it's on its edge. And it's like, well, it's either a six or it's a two. And then you can argue, well, I rolled it and I think it's a six. And everyone else is like, no, 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 that's clearly a two. You're, you go to jail, like that's like monopoly, that's bad, right? And so we have this argument over what happens. And it's kind of comical when we think about rolling dice uh, rolling these things uh, in the middle of a boat that is in a massive storm. Okay, are you beginning to picture this? Like, okay, so we have a problem, so what are we going to do? We're going we're to roll these dice, and we're going to roll it, okay? <laughs> so they roll the dice. Just a picture them rolling the dice on, on the floor of the ship, and then it, pfft, <laughs> pfft, 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 and it just keeps going back and forth. Like, you imagine these people, like, running back and forth, chasing. Is it a light? Is it dark? Is it light? Is it dark? And then they hit a wave and then like the ice, the dice like jump up in the air. Like, it's like, how do you, how do you tell? Like, it's just, it's kind of this comical situation and we don't know exactly how it works, but there's this piece of me that's like, I wonder if, if like they, they rolled the dice and as soon as they rolled it, God like just like made the boat still. (laughs) And it's like, too darks, Jonah, it's on you. Come on, God, what are you doing? Can you imagine Jonah's reaction in this? I mean, it's just, this boat is surging. It's this, this comical scenario that they would actually be doing this and be relying on this in this moment. But nonetheless, it's what happens, and the lot falls on Jonah. And So what do they do? They ask him this question in verse 8. They say, uh, they say to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And then they ask them these questions, right? What is your occupation? Uh, Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? I love these questions. These are great get to know you questions, right? They really are. Like imagine these questions like, like, really it's this. It's like, what do you do? What's your occupation? These are so normal. You meet somebody in the grocery store, right? The first thing is oftentimes, what is your name? Well, tell me, what's your name? Wow, okay, what's the next question? what do you do? Right? That's usually it. Right. Well, what is it that you do for a living? Uh, who are your family and where are you from? Right? These are such easy relational questions, and yet they're having these, these questions, they're having this on a boat in the middle of a massive storm. Right, and so it just continues to be comical that they're talking about these things um, on the boat. But really, what's so important about these questions is that even though they are simple uh, and they are questions that we're used to, they're actually tied to something very deep and intrinsic about who we are. And it's this: you go to this next slide. These are identity questions. Really, he says, like they're asking, "What is your purpose?" Like, what is it that you do? Is your purpose? What is your place? And what is your people? And it's tied to this, this massive question, which is really this, this idea of who are you? Who are you? If people ask that question of me, I can say, well, my name is Seth, you know, my last name is Dunham, you know, here's what I do, here's where I live, here's my address, all those types of things. I could describe me, I could talk all about those types of things, but really, it doesn't get to the core of this identity piece. In fact, did you know that when you Google the word identity, you will find that seven, I mean, assuming that you spell it better than I did, it would be 715 million results. 715 million results. You know what that means? That means this is a massively important thing, right? Like, it's incredible. 715 million results for the word identity on the web and how we talk about this, which means that this is a massively important question, which also means that there is a wide variety of opinions about what this actually is. And what this actually means. Right, people are searching for this core, the answer really to this core question: Who am I? Who am I? There's a we, we take for granted that question because we, we know about Jesus. But people in the world who don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is a disturbing question. Who am I? And so you find that the psychologists, uh, sociologists, anthropologists, uh, philosophers, right, everybody has their different bend on on what it means to to attain this self-identity and who we are and what we do and all these things and how these all work together It is a massively important question. And so these sailors, here we are in the middle of this ship, and they're asking Jonah about who you are. Jonah, tell us about your identity. What they have just done is that they have just offered Jonah a golden platter for the gospel. A golden platter, like tell us, tell us, we want to know, tell us everything that you do, okay? And so here is Jonah's response in verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's his answer. Okay, so first, we're actually going to unpack this just in three things, but before we do that, can I just say, like, if you're a sailor, and you hear this, and you know there's this massive, crazy storm, and all of this has come into play because of this person in front of you, and because he worships the God who actually created, not who just sits by, but the guy who created the ocean, and they're like, really, dude? You're trying to flee on a boat. You worship the God who created all of this water, and you just you're just running away on a boat. It doesn't make any sense. Like it's absolutely bizarre. Like, did you actually think this through? Okay. So, but we want to learn three things about how Jonah, I think, perceives his own identity in this verse. Right. The first thing is. Um, when we look at his answer, I'll read it again. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, so at first glance, we look at this answer, we go, this is actually not bad. It's not a bad answer. Like, it seems to, to hold some weight. I mean, he's got some bonus points, right? Like, who does he introduce? He introduces Yahweh. Like I, I serve Yahweh, and it's not just the generic term for God; it's the personal name. And so, great, great Jonah, good job. You introduced Yahweh. Bonus points. Okay. Yahweh is in the picture. Um, he created uh, the, the dry land and the sea, right? So he's not, again, just a God who idly sits by or who is fake or who is a carved image or any of those things. Like, he is actually the creator God. Like, okay, that's, that's more bonus points. That's good. So that's what Jonah answers. But then if you were to ask Jonah, gosh, this is crazy. Jonah, did you forget anything? Is there anything that you may have left out? Ah, Let's see, so Yahweh created land in the earth. I forgot people. I totally forgot people. Like you go all the way back to Genesis, right? And what does God do? Like, he, like God creates all these things, but does he stop with the dry land and the, and, and the water? no. He doesn't stop with that. He continues to the thing that is the pinnacle of his creation, which is mankind. And it's of mankind that he says, you, nothing else but you I created in the image of God. And, you're like, and, and, and so Jonah in this moment like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot about people. Yeah, God created people. Yahweh created image, the people in the image, his own image of himself, of Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, full disclosure, guys, like I'm a little groggy and I just woke up from a nap. Right? Like it's easy to forget these things. Like, like this is Jonah, right? Like he just woke up from a nap and so this is maybe just something that he forgot. But he forgot the pinnacle of creation. He forgot the thing that is most important to God in his answer. Okay? And then the second thing that we actually learn is in the word fear. He said, I am a Hebrew uh, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Now what's interesting about the word "fear" is that in Hebrew, it's actually the word "yareh." Now yareh" is very significant because it's actually tied to all of the Old Testament. And over and over and over, yareh is the word that's used when we fear God in the utmost sense, in, in, in the greatest, awe-filled, inspiring way possible. That is when yare is used. And so here he says, oh, by the way, and I fear God. And you're like, no, you don't. <laughs> you do not fear God, at least in the way that the rest of the Bible talks about fear. And so we learned that from, um, from Jonah. And the last thing that we learn from Jonah here is that when he says this, he says, "And um, I am a Hebrew... And I fear the Lord. If you remember the order of the questions that people asked, they said, tell us your purpose, tell us your people, and tell us your place, right? And so what what does Jonah do? He hears the word purpose. What is your occupation? Now, we know Jonah's a prophet, and yet what does he do? He bypasses that one. He leapfrogs that one. He's like, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to tell you about me. I'm a Hebrew, I am a Hebrew. And so what he misses in this space is is one of the most important things uh, about him, right? One of the most important things uh, about him. He skips over, um, he skips right to the purpose piece and goes right to the what, to these people. And this is interesting, and I was reading this in this commentary, and I just was so impacted by this, is that Jonah was more committed, Jonah was more committed to his nationality than he was to the purpose that God gave him. Jonah was more committed to, his, to that than he was to the purpose that he gave him. And, and here's another way to say this, and this is really powerful, and this, this kind of stings in my heart, is that Jonah was more committed to his national freedoms than he was to seeing people freed from the power of sin and death. And they go, oof, that, like that begins to, to resonate and hurt a little bit. And when we think about all three of these things, we see that Jonah's identity is very, very shallow. It's just not full. It's not rich. And in fact, Jonah, in, in, in all manners, has really just lost his purpose. If you remember Paul in the New Testament, uh, he's writing, uh, I believe, to Timothy, and he's talking about fighting fanning the flame inside of you. When you fan a flame, what does that do? It makes it bigger. It makes it grow. And there's this piece of me that when I look at Jonah, like Jonah's flame is so small that if you were to fan it too hard, it would just poof. Because he is on this running trajectory, and he is either, at best, he is in this active rebellion against God, or he's in this total rejection of who God is and what he wants to accomplish. And maybe there was a time when Jonah was really on fire, but right now in this space, gosh, he doesn't have much left. And yet, what's so cool about this is that God doesn't give up. In the midst of Jonah's blindness, Jonah is totally blind to the fact that he's he's either in rebellion or rejection, and he's blind to that, and yet God says, I won't give up. I'm a God who relentlessly pursues over and over and over and over again, I am going to pursue you. And then we go to verse 10, right? Here's what happens at the end of this. It says, then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, and this is the question that we started with, what is this that you have done? What is this that you have done? And this is where we begin to smell the gospel in this story. Because what the author is doing is that he's helping us see is that there's this downward Trajectory, this downward path that started the moment that he got up and the moment that he fled, there's this downward trajectory. And over and over and over, and we're gonna see this more next week, we're finally gonna to get to the space where Jonah is at rock bottom in all of his ineptness, in all of his brokenness, in all of his depravity, in everything, in all of his bad life decisions, in all of his radical disobedience. And yet what does God do? Is that he shows up and he's going to scoop him up and just tell him i'm not done I'm not done with you like I love you so much He's going to take this upside down story and as he embraces Jonah he's going to remind us what it means to be right side. Up. I love this story. And so, really, it teaches us about our identity. And so, we know that God is working out this massive redemption story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And here, He's doing something specific for the Ninevites, but we also know that the greater story points us to Jesus. And so if we go over to the New Testament, we might find a verse like this. If you remember uh, this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and behold, the new has come. Right? Because of Christ's death and resurrection for those who have faith in Him. What we do is that we, the Spirit does for us, is that He exchanges our identity. The old identity is gone, and the new identity is here. It's brand new. It is perfect, and that's what that's what happens in Jesus. And I love this verse uh, over in uh, this next verse in First Corinthians chapter four. And this is Paul again, but he says, uh, "But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you um, or by any human." in court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. I love this. Basically what Paul says in this space is he says, I don't really care what other people think. I don't even care what I myself think. All I care about is what God says. That is what needs to be most true about you and me is what God says is true. That is this brand new identity that we've been given. And it's nothing in what, in what Jonah rooted himself in. It is so much in, in the person and the works of Jesus Christ when we were in Charlotte, um, we first moved to North Carolina, Um, I had to go to the DMV just like we had to here, and um, I remember waiting, it was kind of this this kind of grungy um, not nice place (laughs) and it took forever, and I was behind what I might call the slowest person in the world, okay Um, and so I got um, there and I was waiting for hours and hours and hours, and finally the guy in front of me was called, and his number was called and so he went up, and I kid you not, it took him probably three times as long as everybody else okay so here I am just waiting and waiting and waiting and so finally he leaves and I was like oh man I'm so ready and so I get up and I go and I start this conversation uh, with this gal this this very friendly gal and we start talking and we start doing everything and we're on the thing and then this guy comes back and he interrupts our conversation and it's like he just kind of she's like why don't you just give us a second and I was like okay so I turn around and I come over here you know and I'm like impatient, and, you know, that was probably six years ago, so I'm a lot more mature now. Um, and uh, and I'm waiting in line, and he it takes him, again, another 10 minutes, and I'm like, I should, somebody bring me a chair, you know? Like, and so he finally leaves, and I get back in, and I finish my stuff, and I'm like, Woohoo! I go home. Two weeks later, I get in the mail um, these two envelopes, both from North Carolina Motor Divisions, right? Um, and I open the first one, and what I find is my ID. Everything in it is right. It's, it's the way that it ought to be. And I thought, great, okay, it's cool. So I can put this in my wallet, but what's this other one? And so I open, <laughs> I, I open the second envelope, and I kid you not, here's what I find. That is all of my information with his picture and his signature. I have a legitimate North Carolina license with that on it. It's absolutely ridiculous. By the way, I, I really, I thought maybe I could use this till like I get like the 55 and over discount somewhere. Didn't, didn't work, didn't fly. But I have this, it's a legitimate thing. And so here's what's, here's what's so unique about this. Here's what's true. As I wrestle with this, and as I think about my New Testament identity, the identity that God himself, that Yahweh has given to me through the person and the works of Jesus Christ and my faith in him, guess what I find is that even... Even though all of the information, what is written about me may be true, it doesn't always reflect into the reality of my life. Do you see the disconnect there? What is true about me on paper is not always true about me in my life. And so here's where I I just want to challenge us as we wrap up. Here's why I want to challenge us because Jonah, he traded A God-filled, purpose-filled identity for a shallow one. And I think that for us, as Christians, we can be radically saved and call ourselves Christians. And yet, I think there's a big difference between labeling ourselves as Christians versus labeling ourselves as Christ followers. Labeling ourselves as Christians can be shallow, but a Christ follower is radical. And it is filled with joyful purpose. And that's what I want to call us to uh, this morning. Because as we come out of COVID, all those 10 lessons that Apple shared in this thing, right? My fear is for us. And as they stated, is that for all of us, Christians or Christ followers included, we've been sitting in our cars. We've been sitting in our car, waiting with our foot on the gas pedal. And we're waiting for the moment that the government says, go. Because as soon as the government says go, what are we going to do? We're going to floor it, and we're going to speed into the world. And we're either going to cause lots of accidents, or we're going to go so quickly back into our old rhythms that before we know it, we're asleep at the wheel. Do you hear that? Do you you hear the challenge in that? I want to snap the line this morning. And as I do this, I'll just invite the worship team to come. And then they'll lead us in a, in a final song. But as we snap the line uh, this morning, just this app, these application questions, like really the snap line is what, what has left a mark on you this morning? Where is the Spirit, Holy Spirit, tugging at you? What is He encouraging you? So here's the first question I want you to wrestle with is what do you need to do this week to really remind yourself of your new identity Who God says, what Yahweh says is true about you. What do you need to do to remind yourself of that identity and to rest in it and to grow strong in it and to be encouraged in it? But then here's the second question that's challenging. Are there any areas in your life that need to shift from this idea of Christian to being a Christ follower? Those are powerful questions. And here's my challenge. A final challenge to us is then we'll pray and sing. Would you prayerfully consider this week asking God to give you one, not multiple, but if multiple, great, but one opportunity to use the word Jesus with someone that you work, you live, and you play. And when you do that, write it on that Cave Table Road Connections because we want to celebrate with you. Because if there's 600 people in this church, what if 300 of those are fruitful? What if 100 of those are fruitful? What if just 10 were fruitful? Maybe just even one. But it would be far worth it. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we begin, as we finish this service, as we, as we want to sing a joy this joyful celebration to who you are and just to remind ourselves of the goodness of who you are, but also, right, this identity that you have given us is so powerful. It is so contrary to this old identity that I so oftentimes want to live in like Jonah, and yet there is a brand new identity maybe for those of us who have never experienced it, but for those of us who just feel like it's grown mundane or old and maybe just feel a little asleep at the wheel and that you're calling us to this, this new vision of life filled with purpose, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew, but then for the Gentile. Lord, we love you In name we pray.